This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Hey guys, Robert here. You're probably going to recognize my guest today, Jamie Caldwell, because he was back on episode 230, Live Your Life Like You're One Minute Out. Jamie is a former ranger with the U.S. Army as well as a Delta Force operator with over 500 missions, and his very first mission was the Battle of Tora Bora as a Delta operator. So I wanted to get a little bit of insight into right after 9-11, going into Tora Bora, the lessons learned that came out of that mission, and then moving forward, what kind of lessons does Jamie have for people that are currently in the fight or preparing to go into the fight? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can always do that a number of different ways. You can leave a rating and a review out on one of our podcast apps, especially Apple Podcasts, where a lot of people end up following us. Or you can leave a comment in our social media and tell people how you enjoyed the podcast or the episode that you just listened to. Or you can become a patron at our Patreon site at patreon.com slash mentors the number four M-I-L. If you're looking to support a small business in these difficult times, be sure to go out to VeteranOwnedUS.com and support a veteran-owned business. You'll find all kinds of local businesses and online businesses as well. So help out a veteran and support a small business at the same time frame. That's VeteranOwnedUS.com. So sit back and get ready to enjoy another great episode with our guest this week, Jamie Caldwell. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So I want to take us back to, I think it was December 4th is when the outpost was totally set up and they were watching over uh, Tora Bora. But what kind of led up to that is Al-Qaeda was on the run up to the White Mountains up near the, uh, was I guess it was the eastern border of Afghanistan uh, near Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess there was a uh, an outpost that was set up and about December 4th, I think is when all hell broke loose. But take us back even before that, because one of the things that you just mentioned is that, you know, you, you guys were ready to go right after a 9-11. Then you just kind of had to sit around and, and wait for that opportunity to roll. Yeah, so we were out of JRX and I mean getting older my mind isn't what it used to be and um i think we were in i think we were in like hungry or something we, we were we were already you know forward and anytime that we went forward we left with everything to be able to deploy from whatever location we we're at so we had our go to war ammo we had all our guns we had everything you know even though we were just out of jrx uh 9-11 happened and we're all just kind of hanging out in the in the tents waiting for the evening to, to kick off and go get our brief and go do our mission. And a few guys were just listening on some little handheld radios. And, um, you know, we're all like, wait, what, what did we just hear? You know, what's going on? And like everybody's yeah. the same thing. You know, yeah. it's like, what did some 
you know, pilot some, you know, guy doing a flying lesson just crashes Cessna into one of the towers. I mean, what, you know, nobody knew what was going on. And, you know, we start getting more intel and then go into the talk and every, you know, every TV is on and we're figuring this thing go. And, you know, as we get more intel, we're just like, yep, hey, we're going right from here. You know, we, you know, immediately they shut down all the airspace. So we knew we're like, well, we're not going home for any, you know, any couple of days at least we're, we're going to be sitting here. So we just prepped everything that we were going somewhere. We didn't know where, you know, nobody knew right away who was responsible, but we just figured that we'd launch right from that point and, um, ended up that we, within, I think it was like two days, we ended up getting on planes and, you know, got the approval and, and we flew back home. And of course we were upset about that. I mean, we, <laughs> we wanted to go, you know, yeah. Kick, yeah. kick some butt somewhere, you know, we're already halfway across the world. So, um, let us continue the flight, but we ended up coming home and, um, we came home, sat around for a little while. Things started to develop. Um, you know, another squadron ended up deploying, uh, and going over and, and then we got a side mission. We were supposed to go into, um, downtown Kabul and do a hostage rescue. Okay. And, uh, the, the mission, and I think a lot of this stuff is in the book that Tom, you know, that Tom career wrote, um, Dalton Fury. yeah, Yeah. Dalton Fury. And, um, we, so we were tasked with angry talent and, um, we did a bunch of train up for it. You know, we had our trucks all rigged and there's pictures in there of us dressed in garb and, you know, doing kind of getting off planes and low vis drive through the city, going through schwack and wait, you know, any, um, checkpoints that we came up on and just rolling right to the target, um, you know, do the hostage rescue and, and then get out. And we waited around and waited around and continued to train and, you know, it seemed like forever to, to go do this mission. Never ended up coming about. And we actually took on a little bit of a nickname, uh, Angry Squadron. Uh, <laughs> we were a squadron. And we were just all pissed because we wanted to go. You know I mean? We're like, yeah. this is what we trained for. This is what we want to do. We've been training now for a specific mission. I mean, in detail, a lot of a lot of detail that we had. And uh, yeah, we were just angry. Um, we wanted to go, but we finally did get the ability to go over. Um, you know, uh, B did their, their little bit. We had some guys from A that ended up going over with them. And then the rest of A went over. And uh, we staged, originally we staged out of like Cutter. Uh, we were there for a few days, a little bit more planning. And then once um, Bagram was established, you know, just, I mean, literally a few people on the ground that's when we were like, okay, we're jumping on planes. We're going to now establish this base. And, and I remember getting off a plane late at night and we, we, the, the runway was horrible. Everything was just bombed out. I mean, you saw old yeah. hulks, eggs and just everything from the Soviet war was just right there. You know, stuff you read about and you're just like, wow. I mean, it's, it's right there in your face. Um, you're looking at this stuff from years and years of another war. Um, so we, we just, commandeer a couple of buildings that were at this airfield you know nobody claimed really anything because nobody was there i mean we were some of the first boots on the ground there and it, it was it was pretty cool you know to, to see all that stuff but we hung out there for a little while and i've posted some different pictures from some of the buildings that we were in and we had two we had two concrete buildings one of them still standing today i've, I've been back in it uh the last time i was over there in 20 2010 2011 time frame and it's now it was called Spear Medical Clinic. Uh, that's there on on the whole compound. That whole compound's huge now. But we were living out of living out of that for a while. I, I posted a picture not too long ago of us just sitting on some 
some cots, old army cots. And, you know, one of the guys was reading a book and that was in that building. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Spirit medical clinic now. Um, but yeah, we just, we, we lived out of that and hung out until we started developing more Intel before we went into Tora Bora. But, um, you know, the, the area that was right in front of that building was still, there was all kinds of different hulks and just, just trash and, and, and things. And, you know, we'd walk out there and just kind of looking at stuff, checking things out. And, um, it wasn't too long after that, that the British Royal Marines had taken a hangar across, just literally across the dirt road from where we were. Uh, that was, that was right on the airfield. We were like a road off the airfield. If you want to say that you still throw a stone on it. Um, and one of the guys was walking on a path that was just a beaten footpath, which you hear these stories even when I was in Bosnia of people running on running trails and just all of a sudden trip some landmine that had been there forever. You know, it just the dirt moves right or something. And one of these guys had stepped on one. And from that point, we were all kind of like, yeah. all right, maybe we should watch where we're walking, you know. And um, we we ended up, you know, kind of hanging a little bit closer to the building. And then they ended up bringing in more equipment and they brought in some minesweepers and they started sweeping that whole area where we were. And they, they ended up finding quite a few mines that were just out there where we had been walking around on a daily basis. You know, oh it was God. weird. Yeah. 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 But we hung out there for just a little bit and then got, you know, got the word that, Hey, they thought they found him, you know, up in Tora Bora and we were, we were moving operations that way. And, yeah, that was so at this time probably, frame, then the the intel that you got was that um, Osama bin Laden was hiding up in the caves up in Tora Bora. Now, Tora Bora is an area that, uh, according, I guess, some reports, they um, Osama bin Laden had even used his uh, family tractor and it created, you know, lots of tunnels and, you know, fighting positions and everything else, you know, to basically bunker in in the event because I guess he lived nearby. So you guys yeah. got the intel that he was physically there at some point? Yep. Yeah, we had gotten intel that he was physically up in that area. Um, and there was a high presence of, you know, fighters and just, you know, they'd moved back to that area. Because that's, you know, that's an area where they basically strongholded, uh, where they had a stronghold back when the Soviets came in. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, you know, more or less defeated the Soviets or, you know, Soviets just said, all right, forget it. We can get these guys out of these mountains. Um, you know, that was their stronghold. And, you know, they had different tunnels and, you know, and structures and all kinds of different things up there where they could just survive and live. And um, that was the word we got is, you know, that, that's where he was. And that was our mission. So we were going after him. Yeah. So on December 4th, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there's like 700,000 pounds of ammunition that was dropped in that area over yeah. a course of several yeah. days. Oh yeah. It was, I mean, I couldn't even tell you we dropped, um, you know, we dropped a blue 82. Um, so that big old one that they push out of the back of a C one thirty. watch that go. And that was, you know, that was supposed to be kind of our, our kickoff to go in there, yeah. which was kind of neat. Cause it was, um, you know, it was a daylight deal, but you know, we had jumped in vehicles and we were going in, um, you know, into Torobor, into the mountain area, like right after this thing. I mean, we were expecting, okay, this thing's going to hit. It's going to cause mass destruction, and we're just going to go in there and, you know, clean up the mess. And, I mean, it totally wasn't that. I mean, at one point when it went off, we all thought, was that a dud or, you know, I mean, what? It, just, it wasn't as big as, you know, as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, we, we thought, man, this is it. This is, you know, this is going to be the, the nuclear bomb and explosion. We're going to see this thing go off and the Nile these mountains are going to be flat. We'll just go in there and clean it up. But 
no, it was, uh, it wasn't all that eventful when it, when it did go, but, um, yeah, we ended up, you know, we, and, and there's a lot of stuff in the book, anybody that, that's listening in, I'm sure a lot of guys have read that, you know, killed bin Laden. Um, and there's way more details in there. And I, to be honest, I, I still haven't even read the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a digital early version, um, that Tom had sent me before they released it, you know, just like, Hey guys, here's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, take a look at it. Love to have your opinion. And then of course he signed, I have a signed copy from him of the book, but, um, I've still never even, never even opened it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I guess I, you know, you live it. So yeah, I'm kind of, and I'm not a big reader anyway. So, um, yeah, I never have read it, but, uh, there's a lot of really good detail in, you know, in that book, if anybody's looking for more, you know, in, info on the whole operation and everything we did, it's a, it's a great source. Cause he did, he, I mean, I remember watching certain days, I mean, he's just taking notes. Um, you know, and I don't think he ever knew, Hey, I'm going to write a book about this one day. Sure. Uh, just, you know, typical, just your typical, you know, squared away officer. I mean, he was, you know, taking his notes to be able to make sure he can brief back everything that was going on during each day and what we were doing and, you know, um, lessons learned really is the big thing. You know, what can you pass down to, to other, other guys, um, you know, for, for things that we did, but yeah, it was, it was interesting just getting in there the way that we got in there, trying to get in there. Um, I guess you would say sort of low viz. It was, it was a lot of press there. Mm. Uh, there was an area called press Hill, um, you know, media Hill. It just, there was a lot of them there. I mean, Geraldo Rivera was there at one point. Um, but they're all there and we had to make our way. That was the only way we could get into the mountains. Just um, go right actually, past them. We had to go right past that. Oh. Um, first time that we tried going in, they, you know, we ended up, there were some pictures taken. I mean, some of the reporters sort of saw, and they were like, Hey, that looks like Americans. And we ended up getting turned around, um, because of it, you know, yeah. because we were, you know, we were trying to be, I guess, as, um, you know, as, as polite as we could to the local indige force there that really didn't want any American presence in the air. They didn't want to be associated with it. You know, they wanted it to be that, that they were conducting this and doing these missions or, you know, helping, helping out. So we tried to stay as low key as we could, but, um, first time we got turned around just because of the press. So the next time we went in, we went in, you know, um, kind of during a period dark in order to, to get by them a little bit easier to, to get in there and infill. But yeah, it was a, it was a challenging the yeah. whole, the whole way. That wouldn't have been yeah. good if they'd have gotten all you guys' photos and everything, you know? Right. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were dressed up, you know, we had yeah. local gar on and, you know, and, and we weren't, you know, we weren't wearing full gear, you know, we, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have body armor. We didn't have helmets. You know, we had none of that stuff because we knew we were going to be hiking these mountains. So we were pretty much in just patrolling gear. You know, we had just like an AK rack on, um, you know, we had our guns, which are definitely different. You know, we had our like M4s all kitted out with lasers and everything. Um, but yeah, we had very minimal gear. Uh, and that part of the struggle too was as we started climbing in elevation, you know, this is December, you know, we're, we're in the mountains. I mean, there was a point where we got over 8,000 feet and it was snowing. Up. Yeah. You know, we're, it's out there and we didn't bring the gear for that. Um, you know, so we had to have some resupply stuff brought up to us and had to have some sleeping bags brought up and, you know, some, some colder gear. It was, uh, it was rough up there. It really was. Yeah. How it long did you end up uh, staying up there on the post? Um, at 8,000 or just over, I want to say we were only there for a few days. Oh, okay. Um, that was kind of towards the end of the push. 
um, when we got up to that point and that's sort of where things sort of, you know, took a turn as we got up there to that elevation. I mean, you know, there, there was a point where I heard bin Laden's voice on the radio, you know, we had radio intercepts and, um, you know, I remember one of our guys were listening to it and he's like, yep. He goes, that's him right there. You know, he, he was a little more trained in the whole voice ID and, and he was listening, you know, he understood the language and, um, we're listening to a bunch of their different communications, you know, as we moved along through the, through the mountain range, picking up some of their gear, but yeah, we were intercepting their transmissions and I actually heard, you know, bin Laden talking on the radio. Hmm. Um, but you know, that's, that's about the time that they called for that whole ceasefire. Um, you know, and that, that deal is, is basically how he got out. So they, they came across saying that they were going to give, you know, I don't remember, like 10,000 fighters. They were going to, they were going to give up, you know, 10,000 fighters are going to come through this valley. Um, they were going to give up. They just wanted a ceasefire because we were nonstop just dropping munitions on them. And, um, you know, they wanted a ceasefire. I forgot what they wanted, like one hour or two hours or something to get this force together and march them down the valley and they were going to give up. So it was out of our hands at that point. You know, the hires are like, okay. So they, they stop, you know, we stopped dropping bombs on them. Nothing was happening. I mean, you're tick tock, tick tock, nothing, nothing right at that two hour mark. It's like, okay, we, you know, at one point we had seen about five or six fighters that came down. That was it. And, um, yeah, right then the two hour mark, it's like, use me fire mission over and, you know, started nailing them again. But he had already snuck out the back door at that point. I and mean, that's all he needed was, was that little window to get moving. Yeah. I read a paper that said one of the reasons why there was, um, say, failure in this objective in capturing Osama bin Laden is because there just wasn't enough American forces yet. I, I don't know that American, a, a greater number of American forces would have made any difference, you know, in no. this type. Yeah. I, no, I don't think so. I mean, th th there wasn't much that we did. You know, we were we were the eyes forward. Mm. Um, and we were a small element in there. But it was all, you know, just constant barrage of dropping munitions. I mean, we had at one point, I want to say we had like 14 aircraft stacked. I mean, they were just wow. stacked up waiting to drop. And there were ones that would drop and then they'd fly back. I mean, some were, you know, Italy, Spain, the U I mean, they were coming from everywhere. They would go back, they would refit and they would come right back and get right back in the stack to drop again. So, I mean, it was just a constant barrage 24 seven. Then, you know, we had AC one thirty up there. And I remember at night there were certain grids where we'd just clear the AC-130 hot, and you'd hear you know, doom, 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 and then you know it'd be like, oh, he's got some on the run because you just hear wah, <laughs> yeah, yep, go. And I mean, it was yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, but we did we we dropped so much munitions, and and you know at night. We're sitting there, and of course, we're good soldiers in the beginning. We're we're up at altitude, we're cold, um, but we're watching out on the ridge line. You just see all these fires, and you're like, "Well, gee, you know, wonder who that is." There's nothing but bad guys up here, and there's a campfire. There's a campfire. So you're just calling in missions, you know, on these campfires, and uh, and then it gets to the point where we're like, "Why are we sitting here freezing?" <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to have a fire. You know, you're not supposed to give away your position. You're like, we're just going to be another you know, another campfire out here, just like the bad guys. So it's like, Hey, stoke up a fire, you know, let's get warm. So we ended up doing that. And then, um, that, that was kind of cool because we, we'd be sitting around the fire 
you know, everybody sat around fire. You got flames are coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now we're dropping all this munitions and some of them we're dropping pretty close to ourselves. And the overpressure, you would see the flame. I mean, the Move. flame of the fire is up here. All of a sudden that flame would go <laughs> and then come back. What? Just from the overpressure. Oh, yeah. And then there's times that you're just sitting there at night, we're dropping munitions and you just hear and it's like you know piece of a rocket or i mean just debris <laughs> is falling all around uh it's, yeah it's a wonder we didn't end up getting hit by something i mean just chunks of metal that were just flying all over the place i mean that's how close we were we were you know to a lot of these guys and dropping stuff on them and that's crazy uh, and, was, and the fact that you yep. guys uh you know you marked yourself with a fire like you're talking about i thought you were going to say that things got pretty hairy there at one point you know with uh with you guys having a very setup just like they did you know like the enemy with yeah, a, yeah. a marked fire oh, yeah. yeah that that would have been screwed up yep yeah luckily we were the only ones we were the only ones up there so nobody else was dropping yeah. bombs on anyone else so they, yeah. they couldn't have mistaken us yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you ended up going in, Dara, were you guys one of the the teams that went in um, to the caves and everything and checked things out after all the everything so, ended? Yeah, well, we we would intercept. Like we came across a few caves as we cleared through the mountains. Okay. So as we cleared through, it's basically you're just on a path. I mean, they're they're beaten paths, and you're moving along these paths, and you know we're dropping munitions on the you know forward of us on the different ranges, and then we're moving through and kind of going through some of the carnage that we're seeing. Um, and then you'd come across, you know, some of the caves and, and we'd go in and clear them. Uh, but they, you know, they were never came across anything that was crazy elaborate. You know, I mean, it was, it was elaborate in, you know, this, this hard ground and you're like, wow, how the heck did they carve this out of it? You know, the way that they did carve into the mountains, you know, you could tell they, I mean, they'd fought there for years and years. They knew what they were doing, but yeah. you know, they'd come in and there would be a turn at the entrance, you know, to protect. So it wasn't, if something blew up outside the entrance, yeah. You know, the frag was just going into a wall. It yeah. wasn't, you know, coming into where they were staying. Um, I mean, they had stoves in some of them, so they were, you know, still able to camouflage some of that. Uh, the heat, the smoke, the way that they were camouflaging, even their wood piles to be able to burn and cook and do things. I mean, it was it was pretty elaborate. Yeah. You could tell that they've, they've lived and survived up there, um, you know, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you think was, about, like you said, all the fighting against the Soviets and stuff in that area. I mean, they just constantly got pounded by them and was fighting. And so they uh, they really knew how to dig in. Um, that oh, was, yeah. They did. Yeah. So at this time frame, I mean, what were some of the things that you guys really took away as a lessons learned? Um, you know, it, it's you know, we're forced we're forced to do this a lot nowadays is work with that indigenous force you know um early on iraq we were pretty much on our own we did our thing and you know um we didn't have any indigenous force that we had to work with but as the years went on we we had to integrate more and more and more and you know it's once you get into an area and and you start to help them restabilize their government and their military then you have to start integrating them Afghanistan, when we were up there in Torbora, I mean, we had to do that from the start. You know, we had we had different guides with us, and you know, we didn't know that mountain range. And back then, the technology is as good as we had it. We still didn't, you know, have a lot of uh, good satellite imagery and, and really know where we were going. So we were relying on those guys and having to work with them. But it was, you know, it's it's tricky, and and I think 
anywhere we go in the world today, it, it's it's a leadership challenge um, for all of our military when we're working with those guys because you, you know, you have to give them trust. You have to build that rapport, but you know, you always in the back of your mind, you you know, you have to be switched on and stay switched on because you don't know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I would say it's something that's forced on our military now. The guys that are in. You know, you're going to have to work with that indigenous force, um, but just always have your head on a swivel, you know, be always watch your back, you know, have a plan, have a backup plan. Um, but, you know, you have to you do have to let your guard down to a point that you have to build that rapport. You know, you, you do. They, they they feel the same way, too. So you have to get that some trust going in there and, you know, take some time to to learn some of their language and, and, you know, hang out with them a little bit. And, you know, it goes a long way. It really does. You know, some of the guys that we had just being able to incorporate them into different things that we did and, and let them see some of the stuff that we had, or even give them little things, you know, a lot of them, they, they didn't have anything, um, really nothing at all. So, you know, giving them a warm piece of gear, you know, piece of cold gear, you know, giving them something they, I mean, they cherished it and to them it was gold, you know, and, and, then they'd have your back, you know, in, in different situations. So, yeah. Was there something that you took away from this particular mission as you started going forward, you know, with it being one of the first ones against uh, this enemy? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was, the whole thing was a, was a big learning experience for me. Um, you know, it, it's, I had, gosh, I had only been there now. Well, I was, I was right at about a year um, you know, in the unit when this, when this all happened. So I was still very new and, uh, everything that we did was, was a big learning experience. And, and it, for a lot of guys, it was because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we had been in Bosnia, you know, we had a big presence in Bosnia and everything going on, um, over there, but this was, this was totally new, you know, as even as we left Bagram and started driving to like Jalalabad and, you know, and started heading that way. Cause we drove there. We didn't fly there. We drove, mm. um, you know, 10 plus hours, uh, drove across the country. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was hairy at times cause you don't, you know, it's, it's the, it's the wild, wild west out there. Yeah. You didn't know who you, tr- you know, who to trust. You'd come through checkpoints and all you see is people dressed, the same as anybody else but now these guys are strapped with ak's and you know ak racks and you don't you're like oh are these the good guys or are these the bad guys you have no idea and to be honest it just depended on who the last people that came through and paid them some money whether they were good or they were bad <laughs> right. you know I mean? it, it, right. it was the wild wild west they didn't care yeah. um so it was you know I, I can't even put my finger on one particular thing that i learned or took away it was it was the entire experience was a huge, you know, a huge learning point. Um, you know, and it was, I mean, with everything that went on from Afghanistan, you know, multiple deployments to Afghanistan and then, and then Iraq. And as we were back to back to back to Iraq, you know, one of the great things that that we had, you know, my generation of leaders and, and they're still, you know, some of my good friends are still there and they're, you know, and they're high up in, in leadership now roles there you know, they even look back and, and it's just, it's not the same, you know, the op tempo is not the same. And we were go, 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 go. And the experience that we had, you know, you just, I don't know that they're ever going to see that again. You know, we, we were able to, I mean, just mission after mission after mission, you know, especially, I know we're talking about Tora Bora, but you just talk about that learning experience. Oh, you, know, yeah. you think any, any of the listeners, you know, you think about the first time you did anything, you know, I, 
I fish professionally also. I mean, that, that's, that's another thing I do. So, you know, when I, you know, if I look back, the way to compare it is the very first time I fished like a professional fishing tournament, you know, I'm nervous. I got the butterflies, you know, you, you're looking at the competition. You're like, man, I, I followed that guy online and, you know, I, I've watched that guy since I was a kid, you know, and, and you're intimidated. And, you know, the more and more you do it though, the more confidence you get and you're like, oh, okay, you know, this is just another day at work. And, you know, we, I saw that, you know, we saw that my generation with combat. I mean, we were in combat all the time, you know, for years and years and years and just multiple missions, you know, I mean, four, I, you know, I did 14 deployments, so hundreds and hundreds of combat missions and, and just the confidence that you had going into them. And you look at, you know, the guys coming through now and, um, I just, you know, I don't know that they'll ever be there again, but it's, it's experience, you know, as much as you can get, um, you know, train as much as you can, but nothing replaces that two way live fire range. You know yeah. I mean? It's, it's a gut check. It's, you know, it's things you got to get out there and just do. And, and you just, as experience grows, you know, you'll, you'll get better at it, but yeah, yeah it's a, it was a good time. Definitely. You know, you think about that, um, cause I've never really given much thought, but you know, you had the uh, period that was more of the cold war, war era where you're training, training, training constantly all the time for something that could potentially happen. And, um, it, it never does. And so you become really good or bad, however you want to look at it, at being garrison because it sucked, you know, in a garrison setup. And so, you know, you go from garrison to field, garrison to field all the time, train. And then all of a sudden this combat experience happens, like you said, and then the early days of GWAT, it's, you know, just all the time, heavy op tempo, you know, and then um, nowadays, to your point, you're almost going back to a period of more of train, 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 Cold War era period of uh, a lot of garrison, a lot of field duty, not as much action during the early period, like yourself has now transitioned on. So how much knowledge was imparted to those that were coming there at the very beginning of their career and how much did they really take in, you know, to, to right. really help it? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I, I wish, you know, I mean, I wish we did a better job of, you know, of handing some of that stuff down. And I mean, that's kind of part of the reason why I train now, you know, why I started my training company and, and why I'm out there, you know, I do a lot of stuff with law enforcement, but still just to be able to give that experience back to somebody that can use it, you know, use it on the battlefield or, you know, the current battlefield we have here in the U S going on, yeah. um, to be able to, to just hand that experience off to somebody and not just let it die with me. You know I mean? It's, um, it's, it's priceless, you yeah. know, being able to hand that stuff down. You know, it's going to be challenging for us to get back to that kind of uh, mode and and uh, slower tempo and where we're going to have to lean on people with the experience. And hopefully those who remain on active duty continue to impart their information because, you know, in Vietnam, a lot of the guys who left, uh, let's face it, were some of the best ones uh, who left the military right after Vietnam. Oh, it wasn't yeah, always, definitely. Yeah, it wasn't always the best guys who stayed on for a 20 year, 30 year career. You know, there were a few, don't yep. get me wrong, but there, and I met a few, but there were a lot of people that had combat experience or were in during Vietnam that were not very good leaders whatsoever that remained on active <laughs> duty, you know, at all levels. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some of them, they just had nothing else to do. They're like, well, That's I right. know because I don't, I don't know what else to do. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. It, so they, yeah, they hung yeah. out. Oh yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I would, if I had to, you know, impart anything, 
to any of the guys that are still in um, that are, you know, facing that that situation right now where, you know, what do we do? We've, we've lost a bunch of experience inside our own unit from guys, you know, all the deployments that, you know, 80 seconds had and, and the Ranger Regiment and all these other places is just, you know, continue to train and continue to don't get don't get stuck in a training cycle of, well, we do this, we do this, we do this. You know, we, we, you know, we were our own fault. When I got there, it was still a heavy, um, you know, Somalia mindset, you mm-hmm. know, of what we did. And, and I was able to see even, you know, our training, I saw combat change us a lot, but I saw our training constantly adapted. So, you know, don't, don't get sucked into, well, you know, this is what the unit was just doing in combat, which was, you know, probably Iraq or, or Afghanistan. So we need to do this. No, I mean, let's look at, you know, look at Vietnam, look at, you know, what's the next conflict? You know, could it be Korea? Could it be China? Could it be, you know, back to Africa? You know, who, we don't know where, just mm-hmm. everything's going on crazy in the world. So continue to evolve your training um, and, and think of new things, think of different things to do, you know just look back at history of all the different places we've been and do some jungle training, you know, do some urban training, do some, you know, desert warfare training, do some mobility type training, you know, just, just continue to train in vast areas. Cause we don't know what's going to be handed to us. Yeah. Great. We really point. don't. Yeah. And I remember the old jungle badges. I don't know if you remember seeing guys that used to have yeah. that patch on. Now they're starting to yeah. come back. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's one of the critical things is we just don't really know where the next conflict is going to arise. So it's important to to go back and probably study some of that history, like you had mentioned, but also look at what's going on today in, in the world in which we live and where spark it ignite and actually move something forward. Um, and what's going on? What's the culture? What's the terrain? What's the things that we need to be thinking about? You know, is uh, what kind of training environment can I put my people through so that they would get acclimated or understand and be comfortable in the uncomfortable in a, in a moment's notice? You know, if we get the call. Right. And, yeah, and those exactly. are the best. Those are the best leaders, right? Those those oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah, I had yep. an NCO at one time frame that told us one day when he came out of formation and a platoon sergeant, he was like, you know, one of these days I'm going to load you guys up. So whatever you have on you is what we're going to take out to the field. But he, what he was trying to say is that you've got to get creative and you've got to understand that at any moment's notice you may be called or how, how prepared you are to you. And I don't know that he was really going to call our bluff on it. But I thought the message, <laughs> the message definitely sunk in on us that, holy crap, man, maybe I need to go down and get something, you know. But what he was really, I think, trying to teach us is be prepared at any moment's notice. Right. And how prepared are you? Mind, body, everything, you know, for what could come. Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's great advice. And that's, uh, you know, you, you, and you take that to a point, you know, you could, you know, you, I don't want some private now to run out and load his rucksack with a hundred pounds of stuff. Just no. so he's like, I'm ready to go for anything. You, know? you have to tailor, you know, tailor your gear and, and think about what, you know, what situations you could be in. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's always nice to have all the comfort items, but there's minimal things that you definitely need. And yeah, you, you have to think about it. You've, you've got to be ready for anything. Um, but you know, it's just goes back to what we talked about. Look, look at history um, look at the different hot spots in the world and, and just start tailoring some of your training to that you yeah. know, and how you're going to adapt and, 
you know, and it, 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 that always makes it fun too, because everybody gets stuck in a rut and you hate doing like, oh, oh we got to do another airfield seizure or we, you know, but when it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go assault a bus, you know, or we're going to go, you know, do some water training today or, you know, I mean, you, you know, good NCOs make that training fun also yeah. so that the guys get something out of it, but they enjoy it and they have a good time at it. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you need to do as a, as a good leader is, um, you know, make, make training worth it. It's going to be worthwhile. And some of it's just going to suck. Uh, yeah. That's the bottom line. But <laughs> when you can make, you know, make it fun afterwards, you know, have a, you know, you have a big suck fest and then you have a little barbecue and, you know, and drink some beer and everybody just kind of hangs out and you relax for a little while or something. And, you know, that, that's a good leader and, and you gain, you know, you, you get good skills, you train your men and you build a good rapport with them. Um, so it's just one of those things you got to do. Yeah. No, no, that's, uh, I think what each of us did or should do is NCOs, especially is make sure that the guys are understanding what the objective is of what we just did. Um, you know, what is it that we're trying to gain from this? How is it going to be applicable in the next situation? You know, all those types of things you want to make sure you cover with your, your people to make sure that they're fully on board and understand so that it's not just, man, that sucked. There's a real reason why it sucked, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's probably yeah, good it that it sucked. Like a little bit more fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, brother, yeah, I know you probably mentioned the last time we did a show together uh, about your company, and you did mention it just now. So why don't you let the listeners know for anybody who might be interested, you know, what's available to them, especially with all that's going on with coronavirus? Are you up and running? And yeah, we, we are. Um, I mean, the schedule, you know, we had, I had probably about six or eight classes on the books this spring, but with everything going on, it's, it's all in a shuffle right now. I mean, uh, I was able to kick off with a NVG class up in Michigan, um, a little less than a month ago that, that sort of started kicking it back off. But you know, now again, we're in a, we're in another rut with Corona kicking back up and everything else going on in the world. So sort of holding tight. I've got some private classes going on, but, um, you know, if, if guys are interested, you know, I'm doing rifle stuff, pistol stuff, you know, a little bit of CQB training. I mean, you know, it's, it's whatever guys are looking for. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to do, I do a lot of the night vision stuff, night vision training. Uh, majority of it is law enforcement government, but I do run some civilian classes right now. I would say there's still a few slots left, but in October I will be in Texas for a civilian NVG class and a rifle pistol class. Uh, it's going to be just south of Dallas, um, Fort Worth area at range 35 and they can go to my website just one minute out the number one uh one minute out.com and you can see my training stuff that's up there and if you know you have a group of guys that want to do something or your police department you know wants to host some training or get something done then just reach out to me uh just one minute out at gmail or you can reach me you know through the website uh, or on social media and, and we can put something together um you know I'd, I'd love to come out and do some training uh, with with any of you guys so just reach out and we'll put something together all right jamie appreciate you coming on man and uh, sharing the the early part there about tora bora but more importantly what i think i wanted people to take away from it is in the very beginning you know how things were how much we've involved in as training and leaders you know how we gotta to make sure that we evolve with and adapt with what's going on around us and i think the message that you gave there in the very end about making sure that you're training your people to whatever could come um, and, and keep it fun. And, and the whole thing is, is really important right now. Um, especially with everything that's going on and people with the coronavirus and everything else, maybe trying to slow down and take things easy. This is the time where, nope, let's, let's get busy with some training. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, now is the great time for it. You know, get out there. You, I mean, how many times are you on the range or doing some training where you're right face to face with somebody? You know, we have separation out there. So yeah. it's a great environment for it. Um, you know, even if it's on your own, just get out there and do some shooting. Um, but definitely, you know, don't let this downtime get you, you know, slow and, and out of your skill set. Keep at it. You definitely have to keep at it.